With the rest of you, open up your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 6. The Gospel of John, chapter 6. If you're using a pew Bible, you can find that on page 1056. Gospel of John, chapter 6, page 1056 in the pew Bibles. Uh, For those of you who are with us for the first time uh, or uh, here with friends or family, welcome. Again, as Pastor Godwin said, we're really glad you're here and We have been studying through the Gospel of John since about November, and every Sunday we just take the next passage in John, and we're kind of walking through it with the goal of getting to know Jesus. And so uh, this is a great series if you feel like you want to know more about Jesus or who He is. Maybe you've heard about Him but have never really studied His life. That's what we're trying to do as a church is is get to know Jesus, because we believe at the heart of Christianity is Jesus. And if you get Jesus, you, you get it. And so we're trying to get it. So that's what we're doing. So here we are in John chapter 6, and today's text is, is one that it just really fits with Easter. Uh, so let's look at John chapter 6, and let me read verses 25 to 35. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On Him, God the Father has placed His seal of approval. Then they asked Him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one He has sent. So they asked Him, What miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. I am the bread of life. There's a story in the Old Testament of the Bible, in the Hebrew Scriptures, uh, that whenever I read the story or I come across it again, it always grabs my imagination. It, it just seems to happen every time. It's the story where King Solomon, who is King David's son, King Solomon uh, becomes king and he has this vision in which God appears to him and says, now that you're king, you can ask me for anything and I'll give it to you. Make, make one request and I will answer your request. And whenever I read that story, it always kind of captures me because I think like, what if God said that to me? What would, I, what would you ask for if God kind of gave you like a one wish or one prayer request? What, what, what was it that you would ask for God? It, it's kind of like, you know, if I won the $650 million uh, Mega Millions jackpot, you know, what would I spend the money on? Like, what would you do with those kinds of resources if God were to say to you, ask me? And maybe you, uh, you would have kind of an initial impulse reaction like, oh, I'd ask for a new house. Oh, I'd ask for a new job, a new car. I'd ask for the $650 million so that I could buy a new house and a car. You know, maybe it would be something impulsive like that. 
But perhaps you would start to think better of it and have perhaps more altruistic thoughts. And you say, you know, wait a minute. I shouldn't be thinking about myself. You know, my life really isn't that bad. I need to think of others. And so you might change the request. You might say, okay, God, uh, please cure my mom of whatever. Please cure my, my brother or my, my child of something. Or maybe you would uh, think about uh, someone you know, a family member who's married, but their marriage is going through some really painful times and it's unraveling and your heart's breaking for them. You see the pain in the family and the children and you say, Lord, I just pray that you would you'd fix that marriage and make them reconcile like when we saw them on their wedding day and everything was so great. Lord, restore that, that relationship. Or maybe you would think about a friend you have who is uh, enslaved to drugs or alcohol or some addiction. And you say, Lord, set them free from that self-inflicted slavery. May they be released. And perhaps that's what you would pray. I mean, what would you pray for? What would you ask for? Or maybe as you were thinking about helping someone with a prayer, you might say, wait, 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 wait a minute. Before I launch this prayer and, you know, give my final answer, um, maybe I should pray big because this is God. I mean, he can do awesome things, right? So, okay, God, how about this? Cure everybody of that disease that my mom has. Lord, go to every relationship in the world that is hurting and make it at peace and, and heal it. Lord, um, make war end in the world. You know, stop the shelling in Syria and stop the killing in Afghanistan. Like, stop all the war and may people live at peace. You know, it's kind of like my kids when they were really little and we'd have them pray at dinner and they'd pray those funny prayers. They'd say like, dear God, thank you for this food and help everybody in the world who's sad to feel better. In Jesus' name, amen. They'd kind of do these sort of like mass viral prayers to everyone in the world. Maybe that's what we'd do if God really gave us a request. How would you pray? Well, here on Easter and here in this text... We celebrate the fact that God has given us an answer that is far greater than any request we've actually ever made. That at Easter we celebrate that God has done something, he's given us something, he's kind of given an answer to a prayer that we really haven't prayed because our prayers have been too small. That even in our most intense moments of pleading with God and begging and bargaining with God, we've never really prayed this big. And at Easter, God has given us this answer. Because at Easter, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And we celebrate the fact that because Jesus is raised, he gives to us eternal life. Eternal life is so much bigger than anything we ever ask for when we think to ask things of God. Or as Jesus says back in our text in verse 35, he kind of puts the two together, himself and eternal life. And he says in verse 35, I am the bread of life. What a great Easter text because it communicates the meaning of Easter, which is Jesus giving us eternal life. Let's dig into this passage a little bit and... uh, See, just kind of trace the flow of thought. It's an interesting passage. And just kind of get this idea of eternal life and what it is Jesus did. 
And so let's just kind of introduce ourselves again to chapter 6. Some of you haven't been studying John with us, so just a quick review. Chapter 6 opens with one of Jesus' biggest ever miracles, one of the miracles he's famous for, where he feeds the 5,000. That's in verses 1 to 15. And you, you, know, you may know the story. There's this huge crowd. They're out in the desert. They're hungry. He takes a few loaves of bread and a couple fish and miraculously feeds 5,000 men plus their wives plus children. So thousands of thousands of people are miraculously fed. And as you can imagine, this wows people. So look at verse 14 of chapter 6. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So the people see the miracle. They're blown away. They want to make him king. Jesus slips away goes up the mountain and hides. And then that night, he sneaks out. He kind of waits till everyone's asleep, and then he, you know, <laughs> sneaks out of the camp so that no one catches him. And that's where we get this next great miracle, verses 16 to 21, that Seth preached on last Sunday, the, the walking on water miracle. And, you know, th- so Jesus escapes by walking on the water. So you have two of his, like, kind of big headline miracles from the Gospels. You have the feeding of the 5,000, the walking on the water. But he's walking on the water to kind of get away from the crowds and to show assigned his disciples. Well, finally, the crowds wake up the next day. They realize Jesus gave them the slip. Verse 24, once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into their boats and they went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. They go back across the lake. So that's where we pick up our story. There's these crowds. They've been wowed. Now they're on this Easter egg hunt for Jesus. Where's Jesus? Where'd he go? Let's go find him. And uh, that's where we get our text. And maybe a way of thinking about our text that just might be helpful for you to track it as we go through it is that you could break our text up that we're going to read into four sections. There's four exchanges where the crowds ask a question and gives, Jesus gives a surprising answer. Crowds ask a question, Jesus gives an answer, and it happens four times. So here's the first question, verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus, where'd you go, man? That was awesome what you did with that bread. Man, we're here. We're with you. We're your people now. We'll make you king. You'll feed us. It'll be great. Like, why did you leave? Where did you go? So Jesus says, verse 26, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Jesus, you need a PR person, I think. I mean, you need a handler, Jesus. You've got to work on your messaging. This is not good. I mean, look, Jesus, the people are following you. They like you. That's good. Aren't you trying to reach people, Jesus? You're reaching them. They're following you, so why are you giving them this kind of stiff arm and insulting all these people? I mean, you know, like Seth said last Sunday, that cracked me up when he said, you know, I would give, Seth, I would give Jesus an F in evangelism sometimes the way he treats these people. They're interested. They're seekers. So shouldn't you be trying to welcome them? And Jesus says, no, no, it's because you're not seeking me. You're seeking bread. You you guys just want food. And uh, it's the oldest youth pastor trick in the book. Serve pizza. (laughs) You have a youth group. (laughs) He said, I, I, I know what you guys are all about. I see right through you. 
So verse 27, he tells them what they're really supposed to do. He says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him God the Father has placed a seal of approval. You guys are working for the wrong food. You're chasing me. You're hunting me down. You're playing Where's Waldo. You're trying to find me. You're ready to make me king. You're putting all this effort in, but you're, you're chasing food that spoils. You know, that bread and fish I gave you, yeah, it was miraculous, but if you leave it out, it's going to spoil. And you know what? You're going to spoil. <laughs> that, that, that food will only take you so far. It's just bread. It's not eternal life. You guys need to be looking for the food that endures to eternal life with the implication there that gives you eternal life. You need, you need the right food. That food will only keep you alive for so long. Even Moses in the wilderness, you know, that's kind of the, the echo behind this passage. Jesus fed the 5,000 in the wilderness. Moses fed manna to the crowds in the wilderness, to the Israelites. Even that manna couldn't keep them alive forever. That manna spoiled In fact, look down at, uh, just jump ahead a little bit, a little preview, but look down at verse 49. Your forefathers ate manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. Don't work for the bread that you eat and die, the bread that spoils, where you'll spoil. Live for the bread of eternal life. You know, okay, even if if Jesus had said to them, fine, I'll be your king, crown me, let's go take Jerusalem, Uh, you're with me, and I will feed you miraculously every day, three meals a day, till your bellies are full, and and I'll be the, the king who gives bread to everybody, and everyone who comes to me, I can feed miraculously. All those people who would have Jesus as their king and have their bellies full would still die. And so, what's the point? <laughs> there's a sense in which there's, there's uh, an emptiness even to the food that he gave them, literally to fill their bellies. And they're missing the, the spiritual meaning of it, as often happens in John, where Jesus takes a physical thing and has a spiritual meaning behind it. And it's, it's always a question, will people look through the physical to see the spiritual? And these people are struggling to do that, just like we are. I think the question in verse 27, or the question rather, the command in verse 27, the more I thought about it, is just as applicable to us as it is to them. You know, one of the things about the Bible is it's, it's kind of funny because the Bible was written so long ago, you know, a long, long time ago in a culture far, far away. And the Bible, you know, we kind of feel like, well, these are ancient people and we're modern people and we're so different. But I think one of the reasons the Bible connects so much is because you realize that people are people. And cultures are different, and times are different, and technology is different, but we're just like this. We, we work for the food that spoils. Think about how we spend 99% of our time. You know, think about your week, what you did last week, what you're doing this week. 99% of it is about the food that spoils. We go to work, get a paycheck to buy the food so we can eat it, so we can keep living and, and we have, you know, pay our bills and pay our rent or our mortgage, wherever we're living. And, and most of the things we do, the things we spend our energy on and the things we de- devote ourselves to and the, the things we stay up at night thinking about, are, it's either about how to extend our life in this world or how to improve the experience of our life in this world. And that, that's where we spend our energies. How do I make this life better and larger and longer? How do I get the most out of it? So we go to the gym and we eat right and we do all these things. But then we die. 
And there's something about death that, that just kind of makes this whole life a bit of a sick joke. Because whether you, you really succeed and, and you make a ton of money and are really successful and famous and well-respected, you die. <laughs> or whether you're a nobody who wastes your life and doesn't take care of your body and has all kinds of vices, you die. <laughs> and, and, and so there's, there's death just kind of over this whole world. You know, in, we're in this world where death puts a pall over everything. It's a, you know, entropy happens. <laughs> Things fall apart. All of our plans and dreams, they they unravel at some point. Death is there. You know, even if God were to answer those little kid prayers, Lord, help everybody. Even if God would be like, okay, I'll do it. And and tomorrow we found a cure for cancer, which would be awesome. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I love the cancer researchers who are out there. It's, it's a personal thing for me. I have family members who are battling with cancer. I would love to see a cure for cancer. That would be amazing. But what would happen? People would be cured from cancer, and then they would die. World peace would be awesome, wouldn't it? We should strive for world peace. But even if all the, the guns and the weapons were laid down and we beat our, our swords into plowshares, we would still all die because we live in a sinful and broken world. And because we are sinners, because we have turned away from God, death happens to all of us. And and so we spend our lives in this world trying to make our lives better. And and there's some sense in which we have to do that, but we don't work toward eternal life. We, We don't work for something else. And so I said, there's a sense here that Jesus is calling us to take an eternal perspective on our lives. What is it that we're living for? And I think so much of what I do and what probably you do too is bread that spoils. And we don't work for the bread that gives eternal life. Um, you know, a lot of the kids and grandkids this afternoon maybe or already this morning did Easter egg hunts. I know people do that. And uh, here's an Easter egg hunt for all the adults and teenagers here. I, I want you to go home and it- it's an internet Easter egg hunt. I want you to uh, go to YouTube and I want you to uh, look up this video, Francis Chan, C-H-A-N, Francis Chan, rope. Just put that in. And it's this little clip by this pastor named Francis Chan. It's really cool. Let me totally spoil it for you. Okay, so <laughs> he, it's way better than what I'm doing. But he has a rope on the stage, this long white rope on the stage, and it kind of goes off. And he says, imagine this stage is like a time, uh, this rope is a timeline. And then he picks up one end of it, and at the end of the rope is just some little red tape wrapped around the end. He says, imagine the little red part is our life here on earth. He said, we put so much of our energy into worrying about how to make this better, and we don't think about the rest of the rope. And then people start talking about heaven and hell and God and eternal life and how to have eternal life and how, how to escape the judgment day and all that. And, and we just kind of go like, oh, that's crazy. You need to get practical, man. Th- that's dumb to think about all that. And Francis Chan's like, I think it's kind of dumb to worry about this and not worry about eternity. So Jesus is giving his own little version of the, the rope illustration here. Look, guys, don't work for food that spoils. Work for food that endures to eternal life. We, we, we put our energies and our lives into things and we ignore the more important things. Well, that raises a question. Verse 28, here's the second exchange. 
Four exchanges. Here's number two. They ask him a second question. What, verse 28, what must we do to do the works God requires? So what do we have to do? So don't work for the food that spoils. Work for the food of eternal life. Okay, what do we do? Is there a ritual? Is there some religion we have to join? Is there uh, some prayer to pray, some fasting? What do we do to do the work? What does God want from us? Are there some rules we have to keep, some behavior modification that has to take place? What do we do? What do we do? What's the work? And Jesus gives this astounding answer in verse 29. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Do you want eternal life? Here's what you got to do to work for it. Believe in the one he has sent. So break that down. Believe. Like what? Believe. Have faith. Trust. You know, but it's like that's not work. Right. (laughs) Believing is kind of like anti-work. You know, believing is not really work. It's like work. What work? Believe. But that's not work. Right. You know, believing is, is kind of trusting in someone else or looking to something else to do the work. You're, you're believing that somehow something else is going to get it done. So it's the opposite of work. So it's a kind of funny work. It's work that's not work. Working without working. It's believing in Christ. Putting your faith in Him. This is a major theme in the Gospel of John. For those of you who've been along for the ride or who will go along for the ride with us after this, you're welcome to jump in at any point in John with us. But, you know, you're going to see this over and over. Believe, believe, believe. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his own and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, will not have you know, judgment and hell, but will have eternal life. So believing in Christ leads to eternal life. So there it is, it's believing. I think this is one of the parts of the gospel message that is difficult to swallow for us sometimes. You know, you start explaining the gospel to people Jesus Christ died for sinners. He rose again. And now you believe in him. And people go, whoa, 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 believe? Like, that's it? There's got to be something more than just believing. That's too easy. It's too easy. I mean, sure, there isn't something else I have to do, like get confirmed or go to the Baptist church and get all wet in the dunk tank. Or do I, do I have to, like, you know, maybe like perform perfect penance or contrition or, or maybe do some steps and some rituals. Like, I got to do something else, right? Like, you know, drive a Prius or something virtuous. You know? do, I, do, do I need to do some community service? Do I need to, um, you know, if I won the $650 million lottery, if I gave like $250 million away, would that count? Could it be like believe or give $250 million? I mean, that's pretty good, don't you think, to be that generous? So we we see it's got to be something beyond that. Nope. Believe. Believe? That's it? It's probably even harder for some of us here who maybe perceive ourselves as uh, on the outskirts of hope. We're, We're so far from having hope that God would forgive us and take us. You know, we're like, man, I got baggage. We all have baggage, but some of us recognize it, some of us don't. But it's like, man, I, I, I have not lived God's ways. I am the person that everyone else would be praying for if they had one prayer request. You know, I'm that guy. 
And maybe that's who you are. You're that person or that's your life. And, and you've, you know you haven't lived a life that's pleased God. We, none of us have, but some of us recognize it. And you say, not me. I mean, I can just believe. It couldn't be that simple. That's too easy. No, believe. This is the work that God wants from you is to believe. But not just believe. Here's the other part of it. Believe in the one he has sent, which is who? It's Jesus. It's kind of a third-person way of speaking about yourself. So believe in Jesus. So in some sense, eternal life is like super, super wide open. Everybody, just believe. Is that that hard to believe? Anyone can do it. There's no pre-qualification. You just, just believe in Christ. But then in some ways it's super narrow because you have to believe in Christ, in Jesus. That's what he taught. So it's really wide, but it's also really narrow. And it's, it's kind of funny that way, isn't it? And that's important because, you know, people do talk about believing today. Uh, the idea of believing is not foreign to the way people think about spirituality You know, people will say things like, man, I know you're going through a tough time, but you just got to believe it's going to work out okay. People say that. Just believe. Like, really? Yeah, just believe. You know, if you believe it'll work out okay, if you send out positive thoughts into the world, like, it will come around to you. It's like karma, I guess. I don't really know what that means, but it's like that. And, you know, if you think positive things and you just believe, you can kind of overcome them with your mind, which is just a preposterous idea, you know? If, if, if we can over, make the world better with our minds, well, why is it such a rotten place sometimes? And so, you know, we can't make it better with our thinking. So it's not just believing in some generic, boy, I hope the world gets better sense. Jesus is talking about believing in him. And we struggle with that because the conventional wisdom today is, well, believe in whatever you want, believe whatever works for you, believe in your own tradition, believe in your own higher power of your choosing. And, and we, that makes sense to us. But, you know, it, it doesn't make sense that, that each of us can believe in whatever we want and that'll give us eternal life because it's just us inside the system coming up with our own ideas, but that system is covered by death and by sin. And so it's just people inside the system coming up with stuff and making up stuff. Like, that's not going to work because it's inside the system. What we need is somebody to come from outside the system and puncture it and say, I am from above. I am from beyond I am from heaven. And when that person comes, it's not about what do I think of him, but it's just about opening up my ears and listening. What does he have to say? And this is what he had to say. Jesus claimed to come from beyond, from above. He didn't claim to be just a guru or another teacher or some person with some tips to make life better. He was saying, guys, I'm here from heaven to take you out of the system to eternal life, into a new system of life, to break into this death, sin matrix in which we live and to rescue. And he says, you have to believe in me. They didn't like that. So that gets the third exchange. Just moving along here. The third exchange, verse 30. So they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the man in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Oh, believe in you, huh? You? All right, prove it. Why, why you? Why not something else? Prove it, Jesus. Do a, do, do a miracle. We want to see something. Like, you know, I don't know. How about bread? <laughs> They're still on the bread. 
like little kids. Candy, candy, candy. Bread, bread, bread. Just give, give us more bread. If you give us bread, we might believe. Like, he already gave you bread. No, no, now we want bread from heaven. Do a miracle. Do another miracle. I did a miracle. Okay, do another miracle. Like, what, what do you need? What, what is it? So Jesus gives him this answer. He tells him in verse 32, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who's given you the bread from heaven, but it's my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. I got better bread than what you guys are talking about. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So it's Jesus coming down from heaven and giving life. So notice the transition. Verse 27, the Son of Man gives the food of eternal life. Now he gets more specific. Verse 33, Jesus is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So verse 34, they say, Sir, from now on, give us this bread. Here's the fourth exchange. Give us the bread. So, you know, they still don't get it. Okay, oh, cool, bread, living bread, all right, whatever. Bread, bread, give us bread. So verse 35, I don't quite know how to read verse 35. I don't know if the tone of verse 35 is um, a joyous proclamation or if the tone of verse 35 is complete frustration. But he gets really blunt. Verse 35, he stops talking in circles, and, and he just says it really plainly. Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. He is the bread. It's, eternal life is not something you put in your mouth, chew, and swallow. Eternal life is a person that you know and believe in and trust. It's, it's a person. It's Jesus. Or to put it another way, do you need a miracle or a sign to believe? Let me give you the greatest miracle that's ever occurred. Jesus himself. He's the miracle. Like, you know, that's why I became a Christian was because Jesus, not because of the church or because of a preacher, although the church and the preacher showed me Jesus, but the reason I I came to faith was because I met the miracle who is Jesus himself. It's him. He's the miracle. He's the thing that that drives me and pulls me together. When, when Jesus is the center of a church, a church is unified and strong. That's what holds us together as Christians. It's, it's Jesus himself who is the life who gathers us and draws us together. He's the miracle. Think about his life. His birth was a miracle. Not just because it was a virgin birth, and that was a miracle, but the thing that's most miraculous about Jesus' birth is that God became a man. Jehovah God took on flesh and walked among us, God with us. It's a miracle that Jesus was God. God is Jesus. It's amazing. His life is a miracle, not just because he loved miraculously and healed and fed and did amazing things, but I think Jesus' life, what makes it most miraculous is that his whole life, he perfectly obeyed God, the Father. He always did the will of the Father, always in perfect harmony, so the opposite of me, who's always doing my own will. He always did the Father's will. He lived that perfect life that we know we're supposed to live. His death was amazing. 
Because on the cross, he wasn't just dying to make a political statement. He died for my sins. He, he took the, the condemnation and the judgment that I deserve, and he bore it on that tree. On, on the, the cross, the bread of life was ripped apart so that it could be distributed to us so we could be saved. Jesus was broken so that we might, in a sense, eat and live He died for our sins. Which, by the way, just to tie together a couple threads here, which is why you just have to believe and you don't have to work. Because he already did the work. (laughs) You know? You just have to believe because the work has been done. The debt was paid. The punishment was born. The curse was received. Jesus has paid the penalty. So, you know, when, when you think like, well, to have eternal life, Believing in Jesus isn't enough. I also have to do X, Y, and Z. Like, what are you saying then about the cross? Are you saying it wasn't enough? Are you saying when Jesus died, it wasn't finished? Are you saying that his sacrifice was incomplete or not acceptable? That you have to add to it in some way? What do you think you're going to add? And so it's faith, not just in some general sense, but faith in the one who did the work to purchase eternal life. And then, of course, His life climaxes in a miracle, the resurrection. And so we celebrate today that Jesus is the bread of life because he rose from the dead. He lives eternally. Jesus is alive right now, like we are, except more. He's alive forever and ever. And so we celebrate that. So the resurrection then is kind of the the capstone to the whole thing. That's the whole... uh, the frosting on the whole cake, whatever cliche you want to use. It's, it's everything. The resurrection seals the whole deal and shows that what he taught and what he lived, even these words here, I am the bread of life, how do I know for sure? Look to that empty tomb. He rose and he is life and he's alive forever. And so my friends, eternal life is ours through Christ and through his resurrection. And by the way, what is eternal life? What is eternal life? Look at John 17, verse 1. John 17, verse 1. This will be great when we finally get to this in John. Can't wait. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your son may glorify you, verse 2. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to those you've given him, verse 3. Now this is eternal life. Oh, what is it? That they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life isn't just living on and on and on. It's living with God and with Jesus. It's knowing God. So eternal life is is the ultimate joy. It's knowing God and knowing Christ. So my friends, I, I just encourage you to do the work today. Today is a good day to do the work. It is a day to believe in Jesus This is a good day for those of us who are uh, followers of Christ, who've been followers of Christ for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, to remember what it's all about. 
It's about eternal life, which is what? Knowing God. Even as Christians, we can get so caught up in this world and getting things done and doing ministry, and we forget the whole point of our salvation is to know the Lord. So what a day to press on to know Christ more, because that is eternal life. Uh, we, we were talking in our staff meeting uh, on Tuesday. We have our Tuesday staff meeting, and um, one of our uh, people on staff here, Sandy, she's our children's director, she was sharing how Easter is a special day for her because it's her anniversary. We're like, really? It's your anniversary? And she says, that's the day when I put my faith in Jesus and, and came to know him as my Savior. And another guy on our staff, uh, Matt uh, Melvin, is our facilities director, and he also um, is one of our ushers. He says, me too. That was my day. You know, and I bet some of you folks here, East, you know, for, for whatever reasons, Easter, you know, people, a lot of people say, yeah, that's the day when I said I'm trusting in Christ. So this is a pretty good day. It's a good day to do the work that God requires. What a better way to celebrate Easter than to believe in Jesus and to take your first bite of the eternal bread. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the bread of life. And we thank you for coming and being broken for us. Thank you that all we have to do is believe in you and turn away from our sins and we have life in you. Lord, I pray that you would give that gift of faith to each one of us. Lord, I pray that this day many here would take their first bite of the living bread. Lord, I pray for those of us who have been walking with you for years and decades. I pray for brothers and sisters who've been Christians for many years that you might refresh their uh, vision and their delight in you, that they might not live their Christian life by routine and ritual, but that their Christian life might be a living relationship with the living God, that today you might bring Christians back to the basics, that it's about knowing you. And Lord, renew their walk with you, we pray. And Lord Jesus, wherever we are, whether we're skeptics or whether we're the saintliest saint in the room, give us more of Jesus, we pray. In his name, amen.